I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do on these Sunday updates is um, I give an update on an effort some friends and I are have right going on right now to help some Afghan Christians in their journey from escaping the Taliban in Afghanistan to Pakistan and resettling them somewhere else. So I got pulled into this um, by my friend. Uh, <laughs> Mark Ritchie. Um, he has been ministering in the area for a long time, actually decades, but he's been doing um, uh, like classes and ministry via Zoom in Pakistan since 2020. And I started helping him with some classes in 2021. And then in October 2022, got pulled into um, this other uh, situation uh, with the African Christians. Um, it's a very severe and hostile situation for them in Pakistan, and so we've just been looking at options. And then um, Mark also uh, got his friend Don Shire to um, help with us. John has been doing missions and ministry internationally for a long time as well, and he has a, um, a ministry called Don Shire's Ministries, Don Shire Ministries, and he is I'm accepting donations um, on behalf of this effort, and if you'd like to help, um, you can go to donshireministries.org and um, just select Race to Walk, and it will go to this effort. So, school board and the Taliban. So, what does that have to do with anything, and how are they connected? When I got when I got uh, involved in this, I this is literally what happened. I, um, I I've never actually met Mark in person. Um, I did a review of his book, Spirit of the Rainforest, and he said, and the only reason I did it then was because there was a skeptic that gave a one-star review, and then there was this, uh, Mark got into an argument with him in the comments. This is back in when you could reply to reviews on Amazon, and I know you're not supposed to do that, but he did, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I, uh, I bought the book and, uh, loved it, and I, uh, he, thanked me for the review and so that kind of led we, we connected from them and I've done a few small projects for him since then but anyway I started doing um, Bible studies on Instagram and uh, uploading them to YouTube in 2019 and he saw my uh, 2021 he saw my um, my Bible study on um, Job 19 he said great teaching do you want to teach some women <laughs> Pakistan. I was like, okay. So that just kind of started this whole thing, just kind of fell into it. And, um, so, uh, we, uh, the, the Pakistanis that Mark was teaching was helping some of the Afghan Christians that came and that's how kind of this all led into learning about visas and immigration and finding out ways to send money there. I now know six ways to send money to Afghanistan and Pakistan. I also know how to wipe a phone so it can't be tracked or traced. Just useful information if that ever becomes necessary here. But um, I was like, what, how, why me? How did I even get involved in this? And I, I've been thinking about it and there are, there's actually some things that I've experienced that have prepared this me for doing this and it's not something you would learn in um, you know doing an MDiv program or um, any sort of college training it is just like our 
Shady School Board, uh, some of the things that they did and um, in 2017, I've talked about this in my other previous videos on manipulation that I did a little earlier. Um, there was a, a school board election that really kind of changed my view on a lot of different things and um, it opened my eyes. And so I have a lot different perspective today than I did in 2016 before um, our school board hired Elizabeth Fagan to be our uh, superintendent. So this is what I've learned. And this is what I tell my Sunday school kids when I was teaching eight-year-olds. I would tell them, never, ever just believe something anybody tells you. Because just because somebody tells you something, it doesn't make mean it's true. And we know that on the internet, right? But it's also true in person. You can know somebody, be friends with someone, and be really good friends with somebody. And they can tell you something, and it's not true. So the first thing is they can misunderstand. They be giving, They can be given correct information, but they misunderstand what that what they've been told, right? So just because we hear something or we read it once, it doesn't mean that we have full or correct understanding. They can also be misled. So the person that's telling you this could have been given wrong information. So they understood what they were being told correctly, but what they were told was not true. So that's the second thing. Third thing is, Sometimes people just mislead you. They straight up lie purposely. And so just because somebody said something does not mean that it's true. So these are the things that I've learned from the school board. This is the first thing. It's always, always, always verify information. You know, there's that, that saying, trust but verify. Sometimes don't even trust. Don't, sometimes don't even trust them at all. Like, they can say things that just absolutely aren't true. And again, some, some of them, I think, some of the school board members, I think they may have been misled by, uh, we spend, the district spends a crap ton of money on uh, training school board members. And sometimes, I'm not positive about this, but I think some of the times the information they're given may not be correct. But others, I know that they have to know that what they're saying is not true because I really don't think that they're this dumb. And I mean, we've had attorneys on the board don't tell me that they're not, they don't know what open meeting laws are. And so they'll tell us, this is just one example. They'll say, people get up and they'll go to the school board meetings. The regular meetings that are open are basically just kind of like a little, you know, puff fest for like, oh, oh, this is awesome. You know, we're great. You know, this is... It, they don't actually cover actual business. I've been told by more than one person that what they do is they're not supposed to, uh, there's only certain things they can discuss in closed meeting before the open sessions. I've been told by multiple people that they actually just make decisions on pretty much everything in those closed sessions, which, oh, by the way, is a crime, but they do what they want. So they'll tell us that the reason that they cannot, um, respond to people will get up and make comments right it used to be five minutes now it's down to one minute public comment but they'll say the reason that they don't respond to public comments is because um they're not allowed to if it's not talk about it if it's not on the agenda so that's actually not true if an item isn't on the the posted agenda they can respond and somebody makes a comment like an open session they can respond with facts. What they can't do is debate the merits of it. 
or, or have a discussion on it. But if somebody says, ask a question about a particular thing, they can respond with facts. And sometimes they do, even though they say they don't. Sometimes there'll be somebody sitting there, like a staff member, and they'll have them give a response. Very rarely, but they can. There aren't two sets of open media laws. School boards have to follow the same open media laws that every other, you know, government organization has to follow. They just, what they're saying is just not true. They, they say this because they don't want to have to respond and they want to have an excuse. So the other thing, this is like super, they do this all the time. But they obscure facts. And there, there are many, 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 many ways that they do this. And this isn't, so some of these I'm going to say, they're, they're not necessarily school board. It's just that this is what, this is kind of what um, I've become, became very clear to me like when from the school board. But just for example, this was not our school board, but it was another uh, council meeting. And um, there was, <laughs> this is, I'm not gonna get into like how I came across this, but um, this was back actually also in 2017, back when the whole net neutrality thing passed and somebody made a comment about, uh, oh, it's really not gonna be that bad. And that they had uh, this, this um, entity that they were on, they were part of this testing process or something for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so bizarre. So I went to go and read the minutes for this entity. And lo and behold, there are no written minutes. They just provide an audio recording of the meeting. So you may say, okay, well, the, they provide an audio recording. But the thing is about not providing, that is don't tell me that's not an effort to obscure facts because you can't, um, if it's just an audio recording uploaded to the cloud somewhere, there's no transcript of it. You can't just search and find text, right? You'd have to sit there and listen through the entire meeting and, or get a transcription of it to really find out what was being said and what was being done, right? And so with the minutes, you can see with written minutes, you should be able to see, okay, well, these are the topics that were covered. These are the decisions that were made. And so you can go through pretty quickly in written minutes to find out when these certain things were happening. And then if it was during a meeting that you have more interest in, then you can go in and listen to the whole thing, but they don't, they're not providing audio. They're, they're not providing written minutes anymore. They just have an audio recording. So the other thing is that, what was the other one? Oh, okay. So this is, this is another thing that like, um, shady people will do. Not always, but this is like, you go and you listen to, uh, go look at like campaign finance reports and see this all the time. So they should be like, those forms are all, this is 2023, right? They, there are fillable forms that you can go on a computer and fill them out and then submit them. Right? So it's scannable text and there's a lot of you know, it makes it easy to search in the uh, in the records to, for certain um, you know certain names, certain uh, certain titles, so you can you can see who's donating what where, right? And so, what shady people do is they will upload it as an image. So they'll type it out, they'll upload it as an image, and that used to I don't know if. Like now, obviously, with like Google Lens, you can like pick out text in images. Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to be as common anymore. But I don't know if like the the government uh, 
records will be able to scan that. I don't know. But they also will just fill out handwritten forms and then upload it too. So again, it's not scannable. scannable. Another thing they'll do is they'll put like, they'll do the names wrong. They'll flip them. So if it's supposed to be last name first, they'll do first name, last name. So the name's there, but then it's, again, it's not coming up as, you know, like, okay, this person donated this amount of money. So they do that. The other thing I've seen really, really frequently among, most of these are like tea party packs, just various ones. They'll put the wrong date for the, because you have to put the election that that, that um, campaign finance report is for. And so they'll put the wrong date there on the election. And so it's not going to show up like it's search for the total. So those are just some examples. And like when you start looking at them, it just becomes really obvious. I mean, they just shady, super shady. So the other thing that I learned is like always, always, always check the source. And not only just like looking online at the online record, but check the actual physical document. And this is just true in so many different things. Like I have seen, and again, this isn't related to our school board besides the fact that I actually talk about one of their little shady acts in a footnote of one of my essays from the Unexpected Journal. But I've seen so many times when footnotes have been faked, like always check the source, always like go and actually read to make sure that what, number one, that the source exists. And number two, that, that what the writer is saying, that it, it supports that it actually does because I've seen, I've seen like completely fake footnotes. Like, and I mean, as in they cite a, a book that doesn't even exist. You can do a search on world cat and find out, you know, find that out. Or, um, you, if you go and actually read the passage that's cited, it does not support, like it doesn't say what they say. It <laughs> that happens all the time. But, as far as the school board, this is, this was like a really interesting, like uh, rabbit hole that I went down. So we had that, tw- that crazy 2017 election. There were four seats that were up for election. So the, the uh, filing period closes. And then immediately after that, uh, somebody comes across a listing on the real estate website listing hard that another person, another trustee that was not up for election, so one of the three that wasn't being, wasn't running, had put his house on the market. So this is like immediately after that, and it was listed and sold in one day. And that guy was Heath Rushing. And so this is from April. I think that when this happened, it was back in February. I can't remember the dates, but so he, he is resigning. So he had already resigned from like the, uh, what had happened, he was on the uh, head of like uh, Memorial Hermit here locally. And so he, he was on the uh, board of trustees for the school board. He was also on some board for the Chamber of Commerce. And so he'd already, he'd already uh, stepped down from the Chamber of Commerce. But his excuse was that he wasn't sure if he was going to move or if he was going to uh, stay and just commute. So here's the deal. This is Houston. We are up in the northeast corner of Houston. That other little star on the in the west side, that is where he was going to be working. 
when I would go down to from there down to HBU, which is just a little bit south of there, it would take me almost always an hour and a half to get there. Sometimes more than two hours. Don't tell me he was going to be moving. He very well knew that he was going to. Oh, and yeah, I am sure of this because I looked up the uh, the transfer deed on that <laughs> that title transfer of his house, or I think it was the the house he was buying in Full Shears. It was way out there, out in Full Shears, way even beyond Katie. I looked up the title transfer, and he, that had started, that purchase had started like months before. There were, this is the other thing, there were some of the uh, the dates on the, that were listed online on the property database did not, uh, some of the related transfers didn't match the actual transfer deed. So what was what was posted online in the record was not what was on the actual document. Also, on that that uh, transfer deed of that house in full shares, there were four signatures with four different dates, one note, one notarization, one. And I was asking somebody about that who had just become a realtor. I'm like, this is weird. And she's like, no, no, that's just how they do it. I'm like, what? I mean, it's no, that's not what a notarization is supposed to be. When something is notarized, it says, this person sat before me today, I, that I as a notary, am verifying that this actual physical person signed this document in front of me. Okay, so if there's one, one notarization on a document with four different signatures, then that is literally, it, it's just not the way it works. It's not like notaries, notarizations aren't like Mad Libs where you just pull them out and fill in the blanks. That's not what it's supposed to be, but that's basically what it looked like. So, so shady. So why, why all the, the drama about it? Well, it's because this is what I think. It was, what it seemed obvious to you, almost all of us, was that he, he kept, he knew he was going to be moving, but he delayed announcing it until after the filing had closed. So then they could, um, they could appoint that next seat. Now they didn't have to. They did not have to because there there would have been another election coming up, right, in 2018. Multiple elections. They could have put it on the ballot there, but of course they don't do that because they, they have to, like, do their own and control it all. And that's exactly what they did. Then they appointed this guy, Colin Carney, for his seat. This is in 2017. There was, like, I think I mentioned this last time. There was actually somebody that was going to be investigating that appointment. And uh, they, and then Harvey had to pull back. But um, <laughs> this guy, other fun fact, with that 2017 election, that rushing seat was held out of, um, there was so much dark money that came in to that election to keep you know, the, the incumbents there. They had, uh, there was, uh, Breitbart did an article, like, basically slamming, you know, one of the uh, challengers and, like, a private person. It was just, it was just crazy. But also, there were robocalls that went out in support of the incumbents from Texas Right to Life, which that was a whole crazy thing. It wasn't reported for, like, on their campaign finance reports for, like, 18 months. And then, okay, that's a whole different thing. But Texas Right to Life, oh, by the way, Colin Carney's sister actually works for them. So I talked to him about it. He's like, he assured me that he had nothing to do with it and he didn't even like his sister. So she didn't do it to uh, help the incumbents. 
stay <laughs> on their seats. So it would be pointed, right? So anyway, always check the sources. Just because somebody put something up there does not mean that doesn't mean that it's true. And even even like I said, even when you see an online record, it doesn't mean that actually check to see what the documents that that online uh, record is actually saying. I just had another one I looked at that what was there was a an action on something and the action that was uh, posted in the record that you would see just when you were looking up this um, this situation was not what it said on the actual document. It, it wasn't. And so, and this other also true with like when I was tracking the COVID numbers, I tracked like COVID numbers daily for Harris County day, day by day. And you see, they would just like move stuff around at this one time. They just took out 500 cases from one zip code in our area. I called them out on Twitter and the next day they put it back in. It just completely, it completely like, uh, people are shady just generally, not even just our school board is shady. These are things I have learned. And so, this is, this is a thing. And like, how does this relate to dealing with the situation with in Afghan, with the Afghans and their immigration? I, Texas is not the only place that has falsified documents. There's so many fake documents out there. I'll hear different stories and it's like one person tells me one thing and the reality is, is that there is so much corruption there. It's hard to know. Like we have to get passports for people. Even going back to Afghanistan, there's fake passports. It's like, is this, is this a real document? And I've told them over and over and over again, like we have got to have, you know, tell me the real story. We have to go based on reality. If you come and you tell me this particular story and it's not true, then not only is this going to harm your, um, your chance at immigration, right? But it's also going to affect my credibility. It's, and it will affect my ability to help other people too. Because if I tell somebody a story and it's not true, then nobody's going to believe me for helping these other people either. And so it's, you know, when I, when somebody tells me, when somebody tells me something, I try to verify it in as many places as I can. For just for example, I was told this week, like one of our, you know, there's different immigration paths and we've had, um, we have some people with SAB applications. We have some people with P1 and P2 applications. And, um, so I was told this week that emails are going out and people are being called for interviews that have P1 applications. And, um, the person was worried because they were like, we, he has children that need a passport. And so this is, this is what this looks like. What they're doing is, so we handed, we, the U S handed, handed Afghanistan back to the Taliban, right? People that were, you know, that we went, that were doing, have been just terrorizing the country since before, you know, before nine 11, and they control everything. And they have, um, we left biometric equipment so they could track people down. We left, left lists of people that worked with us so they know who we worked with, right? And so 
they are tracking people down and killing people that had uh, that were helping NATO allies. This is the case. But what they're saying with these all these applicants, it's like you have to have every every single every si- your every single thing that you document. We're not going to give you any leeway on, and you have to have passports for every single uh, person in your family, including babies. So if somebody's had a baby since they, you know, escaped from Afghanistan, they don't have a passport. The U.S. has said we're not going to help you. They've also have to have valid visas for uh, and reasons to stay in Pakistan. Because you can't fly out of Islamabad or out of Pakistan without, if you don't have valid status there. Um, so that means either a current visa or a UNHCR approval, which, oh, by the way, they're not approving for Afghans. <laughs> or they are, but it's like very, 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 very slow. So um, they're, they're not giving any, not saying, okay, yeah, you know, Oh, yeah, if you go back, because this is what it takes to get a passport in Afghanistan. They, their passport office was closed for like five months. and But before that, they had an online system where you would apply online, submit your documents, and they would only issue a certain number of passports per month, depending on the province. And so then it was closed for five months. So the, the normal process is you apply online, wait your turn to come in and, and actually get the, get the, uh, passport or there's a referral system where basically you have to go to a Taliban member and, uh, get an expedited, um, passport. So, um, this is happening even when the, uh, the passport office was closed. That was the only way to get them period. So, the guy that, um, so this person who needs passports for his kids now because he thinks he's going to be getting a call from, you know, for, from um, the IOM for their interview, he applied back in March 2022 to get a passport for his kids. Still didn't come up until November. And then now that it's open again, it opened again in March, um, I asked him, because I was kind of checking out some of this information and I, and he said, the person I talked to said, well, he had applied for somebody in January of 2023 and that person should be up to get a passport in July. But he's also, uh, they're also from a different province. So this particular person that's in our group, they're, um, Hazara, they're Bamian and they're, uh, Hazaras are, uh, highly discriminated against. And so, you know, I think that it's entirely reasonable to think that uh, if it takes six months, seven months for another, and this other person is also an ethnic minority, but if it takes seven months for them to get their passport, because they have to go to the province that they're from to get it, it's not, uh, I can readily believe that it might take way, way, way longer for someone from a Hazar province to be able to get their passport. So I asked him if he could, you know, check on it in the system to see when it was estimated that he would be up. But, um, on the referral system to get it from the Bamian province, um, it's $2,500 per passport to get them. So you have to take, this is what it's, it would take for them to get passports from Afghanistan 
they'd have to, um, it's $2,500 per passport. And then they would have to, and with the expedited uh, process with the Taliban referral, because that, you know, makes total sense, right? They would have to go back to Afghanistan with three kids, you know, be there in person, get the passports, and then travel back. So all told, we're probably, oh, and then obviously, obviously that means they have to have valid Pakistan visas, which there's the ones that they came on have expired and the new ones haven't been processed. So we're talking easily $10,000, easily, easily $10,000 to get three passports for kids under 12. Okay, so this is what the U.S. is requiring because this is true. He said, the if we don't have passports, because there's supposed to be like this UN, um, I've heard there's like this thing, this UN passport, um, and I've heard that there are one-time travel documents through the, the U.S. Embassy. I've heard that, but I've never talked to anybody that's actually had that happen. Not once, not one time. And he said they're looking for every reason to deny applications. So we're coming up to this, maybe possibly getting a phone call for his P1 um, application, but he's there's three of his, he has three kids and he passport. So um, as for this, the validity of the story itself, I'm not really quite sure, honestly. I have I have read about. Um, I mentioned there's this one person you can follow on Twitter if you want to get an update about things. Her name is her actual name is Lark, but she goes by um, her Twitter screen name is Lark Abroad. I did look on her Twitter profile. There have been because so far it's just been SAB applicants that have been having the interviews, and she said that there were some people in um, humanitarian city in the United Emirates um, that have been called. So that is true. But I have asked several people if they've heard of any P1 applicants that have been interviewed outside of that that are in Islamabad, and they said no. Um, I was told by this group that they had, that some people had been relocated to like a processing center because they don't have processing center in Pakistan. I asked uh, someone, uh, a couple people, they said they haven't heard of anyone other than SIVs being being relocated. And um, when I was talking to Clint, I, uh, he said that uh, the only flight that he knows that's gone out recently is um, a flight of, of SIV applicants. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know. And when it comes down to it, they all, they all need passports. If the U.S. actually wanted to um, follow through on his promise, then they could do what like other countries like Spain does and just give them that one-time travel document rather than, you know, making them jump through all these uh, these hoops and have go back into the lion's den to get <laughs> to get passports. It's just uh, so frustrating. Okay, other thing that I learned from our school board that there's, you know, there's all, there's all these agendas and a lot of times greed is behind it. And we had, what people don't realize is that there's a lot of money in, um, in education, right? And 
so we have a, a big thing right now. It's like Greg Abbott, our governor, is trying to push school vouchers because, you know, the uh, charter schools and uh, before it was charters, right? And charters are seen as a great growth opportunity by hedge funds. There's a lot of money in it. They can even just, um, you know, like renting property to charters is big business. I mean, sometimes it's not even about the schools themselves. It's about having tenants for a building of somebody that wants, you know, that's a donor of like Abbott. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, but it's not, it's not only that, but it's like, they have all these education programs and licensing, you know, laws and like, just like the star program. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be like, I think when, I think what back, I don't know what the number is now, but whoever has a contract with, um, to administer the star test at one point it was something like they were getting like eight dollars per student and we the kids still had to take the star test during covid i mean there's no point in taking these assessments but somebody had a contract and they wanted their money and so it has nothing to do with the actual like how useful it is or um even even serves a purpose it's about somebody getting paid Th that's the point there are educational programs that are completely, they're just, they're just worthless. The whole, even the thing like textbooks and how they, they get, uh, they're, they're taught, you know, that they don't even, you have to like go through like a whole process, even to get a physical textbook, but not even joking. It's ridiculous, but they want to have the online stuff because then they get licensing fees and your licensing fees. So it's, they make more money that way rather than, buying a book one time you know it's just an ongoing money flow but they even some of those educational programs are not good like all the all the reading programs based on whole language learning I mean the all the research shows that phonics systematic phonics is the the best way to teach kids to learn and but rather than again people make money with these bad reading programs. And so they stay with what makes a crony money rather than going with what will actually teach the kids. So there's all this, all this money. So the latest thing, and this is kind of, it's not really directly related to the school board, but I have seen, <laughs> I have, it kind of is because one of our former school board members is actually, he's actually a state rep now, but that's a whole other story. So anyway, they had, um, a couple weeks ago, there was Texas legislature passed this law that this thing that said that school districts could, because I guess it's mandated by the federal government or something for funding that they have uh, mental health counselors. So the Texas legislature passes this law where they can, rather than, Rather than um, passing, rather than having mental health counselors, they could have chaplains in the schools. So I have a few things to say about that. Um, first of all, I don't want some chaplain. I'm a Christian. I don't want some chaplain in there going and replacing a counselor for my child. Number one. You know, I already have to, um, 
I mean, just even in church, like in Bible studies, people will say things that aren't true, you know, and I'll say, no, 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 that's not true. You know, so at least like that's one area that I know that maybe there's certain things being taught that I don't agree with or like, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't want some, you know, cessationist, uh, misogynistic chaplain going in and counseling my girls. I just don't. I don't. There's a point and there's a reason and we have freedom of religion here. Secondly, it's just so grossly arrogant that just because you have training or not, or not, who even knows what kind of training these people would have in a particular area that you necessarily know everything. It's like saying, oh, the whole thing about psychology and mental health is just it's just irrelevant. It's the people who who have gone through education and training cannot possibly know any more than we do. It's like it's such a disregard for knowledge and education that they don't even believe that it's a thing. And you can see this because they just look at it as a way to profit rather than looking at this knowledge and education as an actual thing that has value. So the other, the other thing about this is that when I read this article, I started reading about it and I was like, this is ridiculous. So I know a little bit about, there are actually professional chaplain associations, right? There actually are. And this is an article about, um, so there's a, several different of them, but there's, there is a thing as being a board certified chaplain. And there are these different organizations and they have certain standards. The one that I know about is specifically is the um, is Association for Clinical Pastoral Education. And I had looked into that. I was actually, um, uh, when I graduated from um, HBU, I actually got a like a kind of a recruiting package from the U.S. Air Force for a chaplaincy. And um, so I started looking into it then because I, like, I don't want to go to the Air Force, but I had been in, the, I, one time I'd been in the hospital, I was, I had my gallbladder out, like just that same, during that same period of time. And I was thinking, you know, I, um, when I was in there, I had so many people come and visit me. I had people from my church, I had my friends, you know, came and prayed for me. And the lady that was, that was in the room with me, um, nobody came. And, um, you know, I'm sure she's not the only person that's like that. And I felt like, you know, the nurses that were there took such good care of me. I could never do that. I can't even handle, couldn't even handle when my stitches were taken out. Couldn't even handle watching that. I just don't like needles. It's just not my thing. But, you know, I could go and pray for people. And so I had started looking at it and, re and researching it. And it's just kind of stupid because I, they would be postings like at the local hospitals, you know, and they, they were hiring uh, chaplains. And, I, and so I would, they had this residency of you have to, in order to, um, at least for the local hospitals, they require is either this association or another one um, to even like apply for the program. And what these, um, you have to go in and it's a, uh, to become a certified chaplain, you have to, what that particular association reply, requires is you have to have a, um, they prefer an MDiv, which is a, a Master of Divinity. And there was one time, there was this guy, the guy that went after Ravi Zacharias about his education. He kind of dismissed MDiv. He's like, oh, it's a professional degree. 
But actually, what an MDiv is, it's like, I, like my degree was 36 hours and it's considered a research degree. Um, an MDiv is same sort of things that I had in my degree degree program, but it also has like, uh, you have to go out and do um, intern. You know, you actually have to put into practice the things that you're learning. And it's more about, um, you know, this pastoral care versus, you know, my didn't cover that part of it. And so what an MDiv is considered a professional degree because it means like you could literally like go in and you're ready to go. You've already had some experience. You have had that education as well as some practical experience and you could walk into, you know, a a church or another organization and actually start doing the work. That's what it means for a professional degree. So, but they also do like, um, you know, degrees in theology, but they, the degree has to come from a university that is accredited by Chia. So, I and then after that, you have it's uh, two years where you are basically like going through and um, you're, they actually call it a residency. You're work you're working in the in the hospital, and they have these education centers. You're working in the hospital. You're also taking classes and when I was researching it, the, the person that, um, was telling what it was like going through this process, it was, it's like doing another master's degree. I mean, even just application for getting into the program, being accepted by this association is almost kind of like writing a thesis. I mean, it's a lot. So I was looking at all that. So I'm thinking, okay, so what is this school chaplaincy? So the people that are behind this law, this, this new, uh, thing that, you know, oh yeah, you can just have school chaplains instead of mental health counselors. Is a national association, national school cha- uh, chaplain association, and it's a, uh, I guess, mission generation or something. It's a Christian nonprofit. It's so basically, this is th- this website was just started in, in July 2022, so it's not. It hasn't even been online for a year, and then this is what their assessment is. So their qualifications, like level one is some hours with active shooter training. Level two is they go like uh, Oklahoma Christian University. And then level three is some more training from Oklahoma Christian University. Oh yeah, I guess by by the way, that school is not accredited by Chia. It's claiming accreditation, but the accrediting agency, it's claiming it's, accreditation from is also a bogus agency. It's not, (laughs) that's what they do. There's these fake accrediting agencies that these, these lame schools can just pay to get an accreditation from. This is the last one, just in case it changes. So it's just, I'm looking at this. So this is their assessment page. And I was just looking again and they, they, I don't think they added this or changed this because I, I looked at this two weeks ago when it was first announced and I saw that I'm like, what? A, that is such, it's just total grift. That's what it is. It's like, you know, it's payoff to some cronies. And then this one says, Oh, it's Oral Roberts university. So they don't even know what's, what's going to be requ- required. It's just a total, total, total joke. But it's like all these, it's like so much greed. It's like, we're going to do this 
and we're just going to, like, our friend, our friends are going to be getting some money now, and then this is, you know, it's the kids that pay the cost. So, sometimes, a lot of times, actions don't, aren't, don't have really a valid foundation, but it's just based on greed, and that's what I've been trying to think about with this uh, huge block with um, the Afghans to immigrate. It's like, what, why is this? Where is the payoff in blocking them? Because we are creating, we're creating a training ground for extremism. This is what, this is what we've done. We are just fueling um, anti-U.S. sentiment, rightly so, because we have just been so lame in um, our lack of response to people that we said we would help. So what's the payoff? I mean, somebody's somebody's getting a payoff from this, and I really have not, I haven't figured that out. But anyway, those are, what I, that's what I realized this week. I just, um, there's a lot of things about interacting with the school board that uh, has made me, um, I guess, prepared me a little better than I would have been otherwise. And the other thing, I don't have a banner for this, is like you can't, um, you have to watch who you trust. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I, my only association with that election in 2017 was just talking about stuff, you know, just was pretty vocal about my opinion about the superintendent, about the board, about things that had gone going on about the agenda and there were um it's really kind of got more intense after i um bob rehack i mentioned him last week was the person that was running against um sit uh, like robertson and um he when i really kind of became friends with him it some of the weird stuff intensified like I I don't know I I, I don't like talk about it because it's like you have to like you had to have been there there's only one person that knows everything that went on I just told her like a year ago because she was there and she saw what was going on but there were there were so many strange things that happened and um there was one specific thing actually happened day after the election at church and I um it made me realize that not everyone that I'm connected to on Facebook what it seemed like to me was that um I had posted something on my Facebook profile and something related to that I I could tell that somebody had fed had told told someone about whatever that's Thing was, but it was there was this really weird, weird encounter, and um, I could just tell it was connected. I mean, I mean, it may sound kind of crazy, but it it was just um, I don't know. It's not anything that I could I could prove unless somebody came up and confessed it to me. But um, at least this side of Judgment Day, right? But um, it just made me realize that not everybody that I'm with on Facebook is actually my friend or even wishes me well. So I've been a lot more cautious about um, 
I really haven't posted personal pictures since then. I did just recently post something with my girls, and I'm just thinking about it today. Maybe I shouldn't even even done that, but I don't post um, don't post pictures or even talk about things that are going on with my girls anymore. I um, don't. I'm really cautious. Um, I have been really cautious about like who I accept as friends on Facebook, but there have been times when I haven't. Like when I started teaching in Pakistan, I wasn't as careful as I should have been, but. Um, I just, uh, and even that I think was good preparation, um, because now, you know, I'm in a situation where I have, uh, friends who are at really high risk. And, um, so that's probably a good thing that I haven't been, um, you know, that let's just say like the Taliban will like, uh, when they capture people they'll take their phones and then they go through and get their contacts on it and so you have to be careful always be careful about like any information you put out or like accepting other um messages like i've got quite a few messages like on whatsapp from unknown numbers i think i mentioned this like somebody claiming to be friends with people that i know but they want to have their own separate bible city or a separate meeting and so um you know it's like it <laughs> want to be connected in you have to have somebody that's actually there connect you in don't send me a message about that but it's just been i this probably a good thing like my oldest daughter avery she's like she has not been she's not been a fan of me being involved in this and she's like mom that's scary and i'm like avery i'm in north america and they are in half a, half a world away in 10 time zones away i mean you should be more worried about the sh- local shady snakes than you are about you know people you know that far away but it's just um even that i think was probably good preparation for this just realizing that i have to be have to be careful have to be careful about the information i put out but anyway as far as um what is going on um there's been a lot of things like i said i had so much stuff had this other situation come up and so it's been distracting me about from really getting um, and focusing on what I need to to help them, but I just realized today that I was what I had been doing right before all that kind of imploded was I had been starting to put together um, all my information into like a project on ClickUp, and I had started putting it in order, and then this other thing happened that I had to go take care of, and. Uh, so now I've gotten, I've gotten back to it and I've been trying to catch up on everything. I just have like so many emails and messages and like four different places. And then I have to work through and document everything. So it's, it's been quite a bit to, um, get through, but I'm kind of excited about it and maybe I don't care, but this is exciting to me. I have my whole little ClickUp project. I have like, uh, documents with all my information. That's not even all the information because, um, I had, so what I've gotten so far is basically just what I had in my notebook. I still haven't gone back and gone through like all the contacts I've been get, given, like in the different messaging systems. But I have our applicants, I have our contacts, so I'm just um, that kind of makes me that makes me a little bit happy. I'm feeling a little bit better about uh, still a lot to do, but at least I'm feeling like kind of getting the what's going on a little bit um, in order, I guess, you know, 
it's crazy. It's so crazy. But um, so anyway, the other like really, really crazy thing that happened this week, or maybe it doesn't seem crazy. It seems crazy to me. So we've been doing this, our big, our big um, thing that we've been trying to focus on and we can't make it happen, but we're just like, we're trying to be consistent and trying to make sure that we do everything we can do to help them move them in the direction of getting their UNCHCR refugee certification. Because if they get that certification, then we won't have to worry about um, visas for them to stay in Pakistan. If they have, if they have those visas, um, they won't be able, or not visas, if they have the certifications, they won't be able to be deported and we won't have to worry about like paying fines and stuff of overstayed visas if we can get them out. And so this is what we're really working on. But I've gone through this. I've gone through this several times before in our um, in other updates. But in order to do this, they have to register with a local Pakistan agency called Sharp, and um, then they go in for an interview and they get their pre-screening and uh, biometric data is taken, and then they do um, an interview. And uh, after if it's approved. Then they go, uh, there's what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to get that refugee certification and then you UN referral. That doesn't always happen that way. Uh, I have talked to one guy who said he's gone into four uh, interviews at UNHCR and they have told him that they're going to refer him to the UK, but they will not, they have not given him that certification. Um, but the crazy thing this week was we had. A new family came in, uh, came into like our house church. Um, they had, they have a UNHCR certifications. And I was looking, they sent me all the information. I was looking at the, at the document and it said that it was renewed in November, 2017, uh, or November 17, 2022. And I said, how did you, I was asking about it. It's like, how did you, so you've had it for a year. How did you get that? And she said that they did not get the certifications until six months ago. So for like December, I guess, you know, it would have been about that time when they got the certifications. And so I was asking her about the process and she said she, they had sent an email. They were in Quetta, not in Islamabad. They sent an email to, to, the agency, they were called for pre-screening interview. Now this was, this was November, 2021. So there was a point where at the beginning, some things were still moving. And then it was like, just these, the door slammed shut and like everything shuts down. They're not getting anything. They're not, um, a few months ago, I talked about how there was an investigation into the U.S. Um, CIS's processing of humanitarian parole applications and it from Afghans and they had at first they were expediting and then they said don't process them at all there's an actual stop to processing Afghan applications and so there were there were people that got in early like between August and you know I think even up to November where they were you could still kind of get through and then it was just nothing so um she might have they might have been that family might have been in that process, but she said that they they went in, and then 45 days later they had the interview. So that must have been like November of 2021. But then they didn't hear anything back, 
until they got a call six months ago telling them to come pick up the certifications. And so I'm thinking, okay, so what is the deal with that? Was their certification actually just sitting, laying around there, around the office, never delivered until somebody came across, across it, realized it, and then renewed it and gave it to them? Or is UNHCR backdating approvals so they don't look so horrendously bad? I have no idea. But that was, uh, that was the crazy thing this week. And so I was asking, I was asking, let me see if I can find it. No, where is it? I was asking, um, one of our people about it. Oh, you can't see it. It's too small. Anyway, I was asking one of, not somebody who's been helping us said, have you heard of that happening? And he said, yeah, sometimes it happens. You know, he does, it does happen. But he said they have, people have to be, go back and, um, you know, follow up on things. But instead they, you know, just sit around waiting for God to drop something from the sky <laughs> and not follow up. But they're kind of funny. They're pretty sarcastic sometimes. I, they are just, I mean, even in the midst of the craziness, they're pretty funny. I mean, just think how fun they would be if they weren't like under constant threat of death and on the edge of starvation and deportation. So anyway, um, so the other things that have been happening in Pakistan, this is, where is it? Yeah, so, yes, yeah, a couple weeks ago, there was a um, some riots and some protests and this is a, I get a daily update from a guy um, that he just sends updates about the area. And this is um, Sheila Jackson Lee. I didn't even know she was involved in um, anything to do with Pakistan, but they were out of, I don't know if I mentioned this, their internet, the, the Pakistan government shut down the internet for like four days. They've also been like blocking social media. I mean, it's just, pretty, um, I don't know, it's just a lot of turmoil going on in Pakistan in general, let alone all the hostility towards them as Afghans. The other thing, there's been, you know, let's talk about gender persecution, uh, no joke, like that's big, some big shock. Uh, they are doing, um, there's so many things. I mean, they're at risk in so many different places. They have one of the things the Taliban is doing is an intel scam to, um, they are offering help, claiming to be certain things, but some, you know, certain agencies, telling them to give them information. It's just so they can track them down. Another way that they're, and I'm going to have to tell them to be careful of this when we have our Bible study tomorrow. Um, they're also doing that with websites that are about, um, it's set up for Afghans, but it's supposedly about going to university in like the U.S. and Western countries. Same thing. It's just they're fake. They're bogus. And it's just designed to get their information. So this other thing. Um, they're going, tell them they're going door to door. Like they, they track down people that get aid uh, and get things. And so, and then they follow them and do sort of just total thugs. Total thugs. Other thing that's going on in Pakistan is, um, or not Pakistan, Afghanistan. Taliban has new leadership. So this was... I don't know, last week, whenever. And uh, one of the people that I'm connected to, he kind of gives me little, like, tutorials on, like, what's going on in Afghanistan. He sent me a list of all the uh, 
different uh, terrorist groups in Afghanistan, um, telling me who's who, but, um, this is, he sent me this whole long thing about the regime change. I'm not going to go through the whole thing here, but basically it, he said that it was the CIA that was behind that change because the other guy wasn't pro U S enough. And so, um, anyway, this, uh, so, so aggravating. They, the U S is backing the Taliban. And so what is infuriating to me is that when I see things like Taliban does this, Taliban does that, it's basically, you know, it's like, see, like we're behind it. That's, that's essentially what it is. On the other one, I'll, I think I'll put the whole thing that he said in the um, article that I posted on my website at Race to Walk, but if you want to read the whole thing. But um, there are, Canada is, um, has taken, this isn't the first time that they've taken people, but they're taking another thousand um, Afghan nationals from that humanitarian city, United Arab Emirates. And so that is, uh, that is a good thing. Um, but this is a post from Amanda Lynn. She was saying, you know, they're, they're doing this, but they're not giving out the interpreters and the people that we promised to help. So they're doing the same thing that, um, we have been doing. And the other fun thing is that there, I did not know this, but there was actually a court case about the slow processing of SIV applications. And the court ordered the Biden administration to speed up the processing. And uh, the Biden administration wants the, um, the decision to be vacated. And I, you know, they're giving all these excuses. Oh, we couldn't. We, it's just it's just hard. We have all these steps. So some of those those SAV application steps they've actually added to them. They've added more steps than rather than streamlining it. And this is for you know uh, people who helped in the uh, Afghans and Afghanistan helped in Afghanistan also the Iraq War. They're still processing SAV applications from the Iraq War, which ended in two thousand and eleven. So unbelievably ridiculous, ridiculous. Oh my goodness. It, it's inexcusable. And then, I mean, this is the thing. We, we need to do what we said we were going to do first. And we have, there was another article that said that there were 1.5 million applications from, you know, the four countries that are, uh, that require affirmative action asylum. Um, where the the government said that they would bring over 30,000 uh, people a month from these these countries. Okay, 30,000. And how many are we getting? How many of our the people that we've promised help to are we moving? I was told like 200 a month. 200. The, that SIGR um, report was estimating that it would take 31 years to get move everyone that has an application in. That's, that's, I think that's just SAV. I, I can't remember. But that's inexcusable. That's absolutely inexcusable. I, I just, ugh. It's really aggravating. So that is, that is this week. Um, like I said, I am kind of regrouping, getting things organized. We are 
think putting it, everyone in this, you know, putting all our all the information in this project will kind of help me see what people need a little bit more clearly. But again, if you would, um, oh, there was another thing. Oh, I came across a new thing. So I usually share. I should say this. I usually share like ways you can help. If you have, you know, somebody in Afghanistan, a family that you want to help, different ways that you can help. Um, this is one way with mobilerecharge.com. If you have the people's uh, a person's phone number and carrier, you can add uh, time and data to their phone. And I have been sharing the SEAL app, which you can like. There's two parts to this: is you can buy good, do good. You can send booting packages to them and then there's it's the other parts kind of like an Etsy for Afghans where you can uh, buy um, buy products from artisans and I have that is what I have been recommending because this is what I've been hearing about like this like super awesome app and uh, I've learned since that there's some uh, differing opinions on that so I talked to Beth Braley who with the Afghanistan project because she has she does weekly um, podcast if you want to know what's going on there and she said that she's been using it for a year sending food to an SIV family and she's had no problems with it um, I've heard interviews with other people where they've used um, they've done projects and uh, through a seal it was great but um, I was talking to um, Clint this week and uh, I mentioned a seal and he does not like a seal and he gets as heated about as ill as I do about the Benedict Option by Roger. Cannot stand it. He worked with them like when they first launched, and he said that he sent probably like 50 packages through there. He's like, they things weren't delivered, things were missing, the food quality was really bad, and he doesn't recommend them. So um, there's that. Uh, he recommends there's a, there's a lady that uh, provides humanitarian aid that is in Kabul. He recommends like sending, um, contacting her and having her deliver food to them. Um, if you are interested in that, you can always send me a message at contact at racewalk and uh, I'll send it to you. But anyway, I asked him about like the whole, the second part, you know, like the shop portion he said well you know he's like I'm not he said I never use that because I'm not sending that to Afghans I'm like so I think maybe that's still like a real thing but I was really bummed to hear that because I thought it was like the whole thing was like super cool so I don't know I I'm guessing that it probably has something to do with maybe with volunteers not I don't know if they're volunteers or whatever but whoever is actually delivering delivering the aid so you have the entity itself and you have the people in these different provinces that are delivering it so probably it's uh, varies depending on where they're at, but the food quality, there's no excuse for that. But anyway, at least it is an option that's there. So, um, we are, uh, like I said, we're just working on looking for um, different options for people to come through. Um, if you would like to help any of our people, then you can always donate at donshireministries.org and select ways to walk. Um, and we are hoping that um, when the second phase two of Welcome Corps um, begins, it's supposed to be beginning in like a month or two, there wasn't a definite time, that we will be able to get some of them referred into that program. So if you would like to sponsor any of our people,
people are interested in that, or if you have a church or organization that would like to help, then um, let me know. So uh, that is enough for this week, and um, I guess I will call it a day, and I hope that uh, not only that this upcoming week goes well for you, but that you're able to do some good too. So talk to you next time.